Good morning, everyone. It's good to be home. I know I said about a month and a half ago that I wasn't coming home for seven months, but the office allotted us a few extra days off, and so I, surprise, I'm home <laughs> for a week. And, and I, I'm really happy. The timing, honestly, was really the hand of God with everything that's been going on. Um, and last week, my dad and my mom were like, you got to listen to dad's sermon. It was so good. For How many were here last week and heard what he preached about? Okay, so I'm a little, like, slow when it comes to actually doing what they say, and I was like, oh, yeah, listen to it, listen to it. And I didn't. And all this time, like, my dad and I were talking about if I wanted, was going to preach when I come to visit home. I was like, no, I don't want to. And on Thursday, I was at our team leader training at Invisible Children, and we were doing this retreat thing, and they were talking about vulnerability and all this stuff. And I just, God was like, you have a story to, sh- to share. And I was like, oh, all right. Dad. And I texted dad. I was like, hey, is that, can I? He goes, make your decision right now. I was like, okay. And I had, like, just start praying about it, and then I come here, and we're talking, and I start listening to my dad's sermon, finally, as I'm writing the outline for mine, and I'm like, this man steals my thunder all the time, every time. It's pretty much, it's not the same thing, but it's right along with it, but for me, it just said, like, God knew. He obviously had something in this, so what I'm talking to you about today is living a better story, and this has come out of a book I just finished by Donald Miller, who's one of my favorite authors, He wrote a book called Blue Like Jazz. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, And this book he wrote is called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And it's about writing a better story. And it's his journey of finding his father and making this movie. And this this journey that he writes about that you go along with. And there are different parts that he reflects on it. And so a lot of the stuff I'm going to talk about is taking quotes from that. And putting, like, my story to it as well. And one of the things he said that stuck out was, What we will remember are the crazy things we did the times we worked hardest to make a day stand out. How many of you guys, like, have those kind of memories? Like, oh, that day was just awesome. Anyone want to volunteer to share really quick? Anyone? Yeah. That's awesome. That's so cool. And it wasn't planned. It just was like kind of happened. So what we consider those in story making is called a memorable scene. So living a better story and doing this, there's this sense of like a list of how a story is written. Like in a movie, there's always the beginning and then there's what they call the character arc. And it's when I use the example of Ratatouille because that movie stresses me out. Because every time the rat is about to get found out in the hat, I I shut the movie off. I can't watch it because bad things are going to happen. This is not going to go well. He's going to get fired, that poor kid. And I mean, all movies end well, so we have that kind of hope. And so that's how writers form their story. There's these different things that keep you engaged in the story of what's happening, but you know that most of the time it kind of comes to an end. So there's this idea of a character arc, and what we're talking about now is, can you go to the next slide, please? This verse in the Psalms, it says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And that kind of goes along with the aspect of our story. And, you know, dad's 60th birthday party we had here, and I was able to come here even though we were on tour, and 
people were coming up here and sharing these memorable scenes in their story that involved my dad. And by them coming up and sharing it, I felt like I was seeing a new side of his story. And the truth is, the best author is God. I mean, if you've read the Bible, you kind of get a feel for his style of writing. It's pretty awesome. But in the same way, he's writing our story today. And it continues on through generation and generation. And each person has a story. But the cool thing is you're not alone in that. That God is writing your story with you, alongside of you. And it's awesome. So a story that I want to share with you, if you have your Bibles, you can go to the next slide, is in Genesis chapter 12 and 13. And it's Abram and our altars. And before we read the verse, I want to kind of pull out this idea that Donald Miller talks about in his book, and it's going to be really key while we're reading. He says, I like those scenes in the Bible where God stops people and asks them to build an altar. You think he was making them do that for himself, but I don't think God really gets much from looking at a pile of rocks. Instead, I think God wanted his people to build altars for their sake, something that would help them remember something they could look back on and remember the time when they were rescued or given grace. So keep that in mind as we read. I'm going to kind of jump around as we're reading this to just pinpoint different things in the story, but I'll let you know when I'm skipping a verse. Start out in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place called Shemek, to the Okamora, at the time the Canaanites were in the land. And this, this next two verses are kind of pinpointed. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. He built an altar here. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east side, the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Let's pause. So you have Abram who is getting this, this promise from God. This God has said to him, go to this land that I will show you. Now, Keep in mind, God doesn't tell him where the land is. He just says, go. And Abram is kind of a rich man. You know, he's got his whole family and all these people. And so when it says that he pitched pitched his tent, it's not like a campsite. It's like the size of this room. The, The way they traveled in those days, they traveled in herds of people and items, and they carried everything with them. So God is saying, pack up everything you own and go. I'm going to tell you when you get there. And so the trek is recorded in history. It's supposed to be about 800 miles that they have walked like this days, if not months. And they're starting at the tip of Syria, and then they're ending in Egypt, as it will continue to tell you. And this is like the Arabian Desert. It's the length from New Hampshire to Washington, D.C., but completely different landscape. You've got the Arabian Desert. You have these massive mountains and, like, the Dead Sea's in there somewhere, so you don't want to drink that, but you're probably really thirsty I don't know if that's biblical or not, but it's okay. It's there geographically. So 
This is their journey, this place they're going. And what I imagine is that when Abram had that yes in his heart, like, I will go. And then he starts traveling, and he's going. And is this the land? No? Okay, I'm going to keep walking. It's been like 400 miles. I'll keep going a little bit further. Okay, I'm going to pitch my tent here. I'm going to build an altar, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to freak out because I'm not there yet. So that's what it says. He built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And this is the start of Abram's ark this arc and his character and this story of his journey. So this is the part where I start to get stressed out in the movie and don't want to watch because I know things are about to go sour, but it's good. So we continue on. And Abram journeyed on still going toward the Negev, and now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And then this is like the pinnacle of his story and the the arc of it. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they'll let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. So basically, Abram's kind of taken the reins now. He's been following God, but he's like going into Egypt where there isn't so much of a famine, and the land's a little bit more promising. But there's a risk because his wife is so beautiful, he, like, doesn't want to die. So he tells, you know, you're beautiful. Pharaoh ends up taking his wife as his own wife. And then Pharaoh kind of freaks out because God is not okay with that. And so we'll skip down. Basically, that's what happened. And Pharaoh kicks Abram and Lot and Sarai all out of Egypt because God was sending plagues on Pharaoh's house for what he was doing. Not cool. So this is that, like, shoot, you know. I did this my own way. How many of you had kind of like heard a word from God, you're going in this direction, you're doing it, but you're not seeing it come to pass, so you think, oh, I can figure this out. And you start to kind of do it on your own. That's what's happening in this arc of his story. So we continue in chapter 13. Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had and lot with him. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And as he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Pause. You have him leaving Egypt, and where does he go? Back to that original altar that he had made. So compare that to your own life story. You have this promise from God. It's not being fulfilled, and so you start to do things your own way, and then you realize that's not working. Where do we usually go? Back to the beginning. Back to that place where we met with the Lord, where we cried out to him. Back to that one verse that really stuck out. Or back to that one person that had that word for you and you're asking them to pray for you again. Hoping to kind of get that mustered up. So he is returning back to that original place. And then it continues on. And Lot was with Abram and all the flocks. And they're realizing as they're back in this area that, you know, they have so much stuff. And so they have to divide the land. And this is where Abram says to Lot, like, whatever you see here, like, you pick, and I'll get the other stuff. So Lot chooses Sodom and Gomorrah, which, I mean, a lot of you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. No good. So we'll pick up in verse 13, in chapter 13. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, 
Walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar for the Lord. That's the land. So Abram went through this huge trek down to Egypt and then back up to where that place had been, and the Lord said, this is the land that I promised you at the beginning of all of this. Wow, what a journey, what a story. So to narrow it down, you have in the story, you have this commission. Dad, can you go to the next slide? In the verse, that first verse, it says, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. In Hebrew, the word for go, halak, means walk along continually. Be eased, follow, grow, and grow more and more. And then when God says that I will show you, translates rahab, it translates as I will make to enjoy, have experience joyfully. So it's no wonder that Abram was so amped to go at first. That's like when I got the call to go to Invisible Children, God put that on my heart. Go, you're going to fulfill your lifelong dream of being on a road trip. You're going to end this war. Oh, surprise, you're going to get like surfing lessons and all this cool stuff that was like this kind of sense of, oh yeah, I can do this, but it's a journey. And so that's what we see in these words that the Hebrew language is not, never mistaken in the words that they use. That that word go, that, that God would call him to a promise. That's something that was joyful, that would draw Abram to say yes so quickly. So Abram's response was, okay, I'll go. And the cool thing about that is that the Hebrew word halek is exactly what Abram did. So that same word that God says go, Abram responded. And so that says he had no hesitation. He didn't think twice about it. He obeyed immediately into the promise that he saw God had for him. Can you go to the next slide? This picture here is a little bit of my story and coming into Invisible Children and doing what I've been doing. The picture on the left, I was longboarding in, longboarding in California, and there's all these like, like houses everywhere, real like suburbia, and I kind of felt like God was saying, go up this street and then go to the left, and I'm like, I have no idea where I am, but I'm just going, and I go to the left, and all of a sudden there's this big field with all these flowers, and these flowers are some of my favorite gazanias. I think. And there's this couple dancing in the background. And I have my iPod in, and all of a sudden, one of my favorite, like, romantic songs comes on, and I'm like, you're just trying to point out how lonely I am, aren't you? That's real sweet. Thanks a lot. And immediately, I had this sense that God was saying, I want to surprise you. Like, how would you expect in the middle of all this chaos and clutter that there'd be this beautiful field with this romantic picture of a relationship of life and of love that I want to surprise you in this, that as you obey, that as you walk, I have a promise for you in this. And so I held on to that by picking that flower. And I stuck one of the petals in random places throughout my journal. And I tell you what, throughout tour, that was back in January, I would be having a really hard time, I'd be journaling about it, I'd turn the page, and there would be a petal. That was my altar. I was reminded of God's promise for me. And there was one night that it was really, really bad. And I kind of forgotten about that moment. And I was going to bed. I'm all grumpy and stuff. And I flip up my sleeping bag. And there's a petal in my sleeping bag. I was like, you're just that good, aren't you? Like, that altar was like God's way of reminding me. Like, I have a promise for you. You've been rescued. I have a grace. So the character arc, as we discussed, was, you know, Abram going to Egypt, 
with Sarah. And if you go back to chapter 13, verses 3 through 4, and it says that, can I find it? Give you a second to get there. It says, he journeyed on from Negev as far as Bethel, and this is when he went back to that first altar. The word journeyed is again that halak, that he went, he was growing. And so it's to say that God had this promise for Abram, but it wasn't about the fulfillment of the, pro- the promise at the end. It was about the journey getting there. Because he went to that place that God had promised him when at the end God said, this is the land. Abram had been there probably a few months before and pitched a tent there, but God didn't say, this is it, so he kept going. But what a lesson he learned in the going down to Egypt and all that he experienced there. And so I see this as God's being really vulnerable with us. That in his style of writing this story of history that is carried on through generations and generations, that he's saying, look at this guy that I have made such a point and a character in the story of people's lives and how he goofed up. And look how sometimes you goof up, but I'm writing your story. We're writing this together and how much grace he has for us in that. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. And in this moment of, for me, experience going back to California a month and a half ago after being here, I was expecting this awesome community like I told you all about so many times, that first day in the roadie house being greeted by 40 people all jumping and screaming like, welcome to Invisible Children, and everyone's super excited. And I had begun to find, you know, God had called me here, but I was finding it my way through that, you know, I wasn't going to church anymore. I wasn't really reading my Bible as much as I wanted to. I just felt like, oh, well, I would even tell my mom, my, my church is here, you know, this community I have. And so I kind of use it as my excuse, like, oh, Sarah, just tell them you're my sister. Like, oh, God, this is my church. I don't have to do what you tell me. It's okay. And so come back a month ago. I arrive at the roadie house a little upset because I'm leaving you guys again, thinking it's going to be for seven months. I walk into the house, and it's empty. They had moved all my stuff. Couldn't find my room. I go up, and my friend dropped me off. She goes, oh, they're having a party at someone's house. Do you want to come? I start sobbing. And she's like, oh, are you okay? And I'm like, I don't want to be here. Like, I was so broken in the moment of realizing that that community that I had put as my sustainability and my promise, God pulled out from out the rug from underneath me. And I began to see that there was this character arc beginning in my story. And Reading this book at that time was awesome because it gave me a hope that I'm going through this hard time where I'm feeling really lonely, and even though I know I'm doing the right thing, I don't feel it. I feel like I've been walking for 600 miles, and I'm not seeing that promise that you gave me. But reading this and understanding the aspect of God as the writer kind of gave me a hope to just sit back and walk it out to not try to figure it out and get stressed. Mom talked to me on the phone. She said, you sound depressed. And I thought I was. I was like, I'm sinking back into this hole, and I don't want to go there. Like, there's a reason I'm here. And so I had to be brought back to those altars. So if you go change the thing, any character or character in any good story is someone who wants something and overcomes a conflict to get it. And Abram overcame this conflict in his story and came to the promised land. He kept walking. He kept going. And for me in my heart, with Invisible Children, what I'm doing, and I feel like God has called me in this story, and 
I'm overcoming this conflict, but it's that halak, that go and grow more and more. And each one of you, as you go through these conflicts that you experience in your life, and sometimes we question, like, is this really where God wants me to be? And, you know, everyone has those questions. Trust that it's that halak, that God wants you to grow more and more. And as you trust in him and you have that urgent obedience and that yes in your heart, even though it's not always easy, there's character traits that he wants to bring out of you. It's that iron sharpens iron and that he's going to build something so much better, an altar in your own heart to come about. So as it says, the Lord said to Abram after he had gone through this ark in his story, you can go to the next, next one. The Lord said to Abram, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward, for the land that you will see I will give to you and your offspring forever. Next slide. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, and this is the word halak, again, walk, arise, go and grow more and more through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. If you can go to the next slide. So Abraham moved his tent, came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built another altar to the Lord. And this continuation of that word halak, it shows that the story is not over. That the movie isn't ended. It's that suspenseful feeling of, I built another altar. You said halak again, so there's more to come. There's more to go. And it's, we're all in this story together. We're in this journey that God has put us on this earth for a reason. And where you are at, what you're going through is not a mistake. And that he is writing this story with you. And if you can find it in your heart to trust him and surrender in that, those altars will be remembered throughout your life. Those memorable scenes that you have built. That life is a journey. You can change to the next one. This goes back to that quote about the altars. But in Abram's story, you don't hear the detail of every single moment, but the moments that stood out, the moments that created struggle that resulted in this altar. And I'm sure many of you can kind of think about those times in your life that you got saved for the first time, or you had your first baby, or you met your husband, or you met your wife, you got married. These are these memorable moments we have throughout life that you can kind of draw back from each day and remember, God is so good. Life is so good. In the midst of everything that has happened, in the midst of the struggle, there is that altar to return to and to remind yourself of how good God is. So something they could look back on and remember, the times when they were rescued or they were given grace. If you can continue to the next slide. A good storyteller doesn't just tell a better story. He invites other people into the story with him, giving them a better story too. And honestly, that's been one of the privileges for me for working for Invisible Children and being able to return home is sharing my story with you guys, but realizing that you're a part of it too. And as I'm sitting in my office, realizing that I'm going through this character arc of building and growing more and more, and recognizing that I had let go of the direction that God had put me, I began to think, I want to create a memorable scene every day. And about a year ago, I had emailed this church out in San Diego and kind of left it alone, like not thinking anything of it. And I was reading this book, talking about story at a coffee shop on a Sunday that I didn't go to church. And I was just thinking, about, I was like, I should call them. I'm just going to fly by the whim. So I asked some random guy at the coffee shop if I could use their laptop looked up the church's information, gave them a call. And 
I become known as grandma at the house now because I go to bed really early. I don't really talk to anyone. Feeling that lonely thing and wearing it like a gold chain. All of a sudden, I'm on the phone with this pastor named Joel, and I'm like pacing back and forth, and he's talking to me, and I'm like, oh, we have that value at our church. Yeah, we do that. I grew up like that. Like they're in this, they're in a living room, and they're just like jam out. And I'm like, that's how it was when I was five. So cool. Like that connection started to go. And so they said, well, you know, we're really small. We're a church plant. But if, you know, we want the right people on the bus is what they said, you know. And in my head, I was thinking they want the right people in their story. And I began to talk to him about that because I just read it. And I said, you know, in my heart, I realized today that I didn't want my story to just be my story, but about the kingdom, about God's story and continuing on this promise of God in my life and in the lives of others. And he's like, well, we have a service at seven tonight if you want to come. I'm like, yeah, I'll be there. And he says, but keep in mind that if you feel in your heart, you're not supposed to be here with us, we'll bless you in that. And we want you to be where God wants you to be. It's like, I like that. So I found our car. I, I drive down there and I'm sitting on the couch. I'm super nervous. And there's surfboards up on the wall. There's a hammock hanging and there are guitars everywhere. And I'm like, this is so cool. In my head, I'm like geeking out completely, but I'm trying not to show it. And I'm talking with them after, and it was Phil Strout, the overseer of the Eastern Region, said this thing when our church got accepted into the vineyard. Thunk, you fit. And that's exactly how I felt. By stepping into that promise of God and being obedient and coming out of my slump that I had gone in because I thought I could figure it out and actually going along with that unction that the Spirit put in me, I felt that again. That like, I fit, I found my my community, and these people who, they're vineyard. They're so vineyard. I felt like I was home again. And since three weeks ago, that's, that's when I first went, um, they had told me that a week before they had been praying, because it's six guys, six single young men. Don't worry, nothing's going on. <laughs> but one of the things they had said was that they said, you know, we prayed a week ago that God would send us a woman our age who had leadership experience, knew the vineyard values, and could rally other women and, like, could relate with them. And I was like, did you happen to ask for brown hair and brown eyes? I got that. I can do that, you know? <laughs> they're like, welcome. And they asked me to be part of their leadership team the first night, talking with them for hours. And the next night, this girl, Star, showed up, and who they said hadn't been there in a year. And they were like, it's kind of weird because she talked to us about the same time you emailed us, and now you're both here. And I got a word from God for her, and she starts crying and Joel and his cousin are like, we're just going to let her do this. Like, we'll play music in the background. And in my heart, I thought, thank you, God, for teaching me this and showing me this and giving me this opportunity. We've started, we partnered with another church and doing this homeless ministry on Sunday afternoons. And it's cool because they live there in this area. And so their apartment is open, like really open space. And they'll bring these bums that Ocean Beach, the area says, don't feed our bums, so we'll feed them, and then we'll take them into their house and play music with them and cook for them more and hang out with them for the whole day, and these guys are, like, so genuine, and it's neat to see. I go down to Ocean Beach just to, like, hang out for the farmer's market or something, and I run into someone that's from our church. I'm like, oh, hey, Rob, how are you? Like, you know, just connecting with these, these bums, and the people from IC are like, how do you know them? I'm like, well, my church is right over there. You should come check it out. And so now this fervency that God has put in me, it's like spreading to other people. And they're like, you know, no one really talks about their faith here. This is cool to like kind of connect with that. And I was so pumped up because I'm thinking, you're a team leader. You're stepping into this. You have to be having some of the struggles I'm struggling. How can you do this without him? How can I do this? How could I ever have thought that 
I can book a tour that is going to end up bringing the hundreds of thousands of kids that have been abducted home. Something that I want to share with you in this story that we found out over the last month that got me really excited but also kind of freaked out. We're developing a lot of stuff. This last tour we did, as some of you know, is the most successful tour in Invisible Children history. And that money that was raised went directly to these radio towers that are being set up in the Congo. And that the reports of kids who have been coming out of the bush skyrocketing. But at the same time, there's so much else happening. There's still abductions going on, and we're seeing that we're, we're expanding. And by the goals they've set for this tour, they're calling it the Frontline Tour because they said in the past it was about raising awareness and telling a story, but now we need people to act on that story. And more than ever, we're on the front lines of making this war end permanently and bringing these kids home. Coolest thing, I'm geeking out about this. There's a pamphlet we're developing. The UN has asked our art department to develop this. It's about half the size of this. It's bright yellow, and it's, it's called Operation Come Home. And it's four pictures, and in each underneath there is simple instructions in three different local languages. So if you're an illiterate child soldier, if you speak the language from South Sudan, from Congo, or Central African Republic, or Uganda, you can understand what they're saying. And they're saying, it's safe for you to come home. Here's where you can go and who you can talk to. The government will not arrest you. We've trained your community on how to accept you. And then it's a picture of people being reunited with their family. And on the other side is a picture of these people who have responded to the radio towers. And they're all grouped together, like, with their arms on each other. And one of them is this man who, back in 2008, there was a massacre of 300 people is called the Christmas Massacre, and the man who led that is in the picture, having surrendered and come out of the bush and saying, you can do this too. If such great magnitude can surrender, so can you. And I'm like holding this pamphlet, and they're telling me, oh yeah, two of your founders are over in Congo right now posting these on trees and dropping them throughout the forest. They have 1,500. The UN is going to be printing out 15,000 and airdropping them over the Garamba Forest where the LRA is located. (laughs) Okay, no big deal. I'm holding this. Some kid's going to be holding the same thing. And they said, they were like, while you're on tour, every dollar you raise is going directly towards this, which is so, like, this weight suddenly was like, oh my gosh, that can't happen unless we like succeed with this. And it made it so much personal in my heart to know that the construction on the rehabilitation centers has started and that these radio towers are expanding and that they're being run by kids who just defected and now are like so eager to tell their friends that they can come home too. And it gives me so much hope to know that like these, they're, they're catching that fire in their hearts that they have a hope now that they don't have to be this anymore. And Really quickly, the other thing that we're developing is the first, first of its kind is called the Crisis Tracker, and it's online. You get updates daily, weekly, monthly of everything that's happening on the ground, and what we'll be doing on our tour is giving this link to people who sign up and want to get involved so that they can keep tabs, so that they can go to their churches and their high schools and update people that it doesn't take someone who works, but we want everyone involved to understand that it is our responsibility, we have a phrase that says, his liberty is bound in mind. That as we celebrate our Independence Day and this freedom, that their liberty, because we have it, it's up to us to help them. That we have a responsibility as human beings with that liberty to help them. And it's cool that we now have the tools to do it. Because of people who have supported us, you know, the UN is on board and different big names are starting to notice what we're doing and saying, this is 
25 years? No more. It shouldn't happen. And they even said that this year alone, there have been 900 abductions, 100 killings, and 265 attacks just in the last seven months. But two days ago, ALRA members defected and came out of the bush and surrendered. And that's happening weekly. It's so that number is going to keep dropping if we keep moving and keep acting and keep telling this story. And it's not just about these kids in Central East Africa. It's about your story. That so much of my life has been changed by this. But maybe it's something else for you that God has put on your heart. Maybe it's another halak. It's that some other go that God has put on your heart. And to obey immediately without question and to just do it, even though it might seem hard, there might be struggle, if you obey, if you trust him, you will see the fruit of it come out. You will see that promise fulfilled. But understand that it doesn't stop there. That you build that altar of where his promise was and you keep moving. You keep, you keep growing more and more. And so I know that this was heavy for me because I'm in the middle of experiencing this. And I'm sure other people are in their own ways. So I want to ask the prayer team to come up now as we're closing this out. If you are struggling with this idea, if you need prayer for anything, or you just say, I've never experienced God in that way that I could hear his voice and trust him, and you want to know him in that way, I encourage you to come up and get prayer to understand that your story is just as important as Abram's. It's just as important as mine. And each individual, like, we're in this together, and we owe it to each other to tell our story. To get other people involved in our story is so important. So, Lord, I thank you so much for this time, for this family and this community I have that isn't just here, but it's global. That as that liberty that we so celebrate, you have given us, that we would feel the weight and the responsibility of that halak that you've put on some people's hearts to go and to answer that call. God, I pray for those who might be questioning right now, that you would give them an altar to build, an altar to go back to, a reminder of why their story is so important in your eyes and in the eyes of others. Give us the heart to see when to, to speak up about this story and to share with others and giving them that chance to share in our story. Just pray your blessing and your promise and your peace over my family here. In Jesus' name, amen.